This is Michael Gordon with Sandler Training in Calabasas, and you're listening to The Sassholes. Welcome to Sassholes, a show dedicated to issues within the software as a service industry. We are revenue ops with an edge. Jamie, Jason, KG, and myself, Pete, have a combined 100 years of making interesting decisions. Please subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Today, our guest is Mike Gordon. Mike is president of Sandler Training in Calabasas. Is that how you say it? Calabasas? Calabasas. So it's like Calabasas. So basically, you're a Calabas hole. As a Sandler trainer, he works with growth-minded companies that know selling is never about the lowest price. Believe that salespeople have rights and understand that demos are the quickest way to kill an opportunity before it even gets started. But before we get to Mike, this episode is brought to you by Neuronoodle. Hey, parents and athletes, get a doodle of your noodle. That's a brain map before the season starts. Heck, the season started. They're getting knocked around out there. Get a baseline to compare it to. You get a physical every year, right? Well, get a brain checkup before you get knocked. Schedule an appointment now at NeuroNoodle.com. AG. <laughs> yes, Pete. <laughs> Gaither. Yeah, yes, yes. Can you hear me now? I used to be addicted to soap, but I'm clean now. Leave <laughs> us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net. Got any shout-outs, KG? I have a couple of shout-outs. I have a shout-out to Andrew Wisdom, uh, who used to work with me at ZipRecruiter in Arizona. He is now a chief revenue officer at United Pet Care. And then uh, a shout-out to Veronica Kautz, uh, also formerly uh, ZipRecruiter and simply hired at Hot Jobs. Pete, Pete, way back when, Hot Jobs. Hot Jobs. remember that, yes. Yeah, that that was a great purchase. That's a long, yeah, a long time ago. Handshake. She just went over to Handshake. And then a couple of nice guys shout outs. I've got a uh, happy birthday to Paige Craig, who's a partner at Outlander Labs, a gentleman who changed my life, um, as well as Amanda Huggins. We used to work together at ZipRecruiter and Zoe Klein, an amazing SDR who used to be at Upkeep in, uh, in Los Angeles. So there you have it. Amanda Hug and Kiss. <laughs> I wanted that on post. You can't say things. Yeah, we can. There's no HR here. There's no HR. Oh, well, that's true. Courtney Hanley, six years at Oracle. Oracle's still around. You don't think uh, uh, Salesforce got the better of that deal? Yeah, right. Right. You know, Benny Off started there. Uh, yeah, I know. So he got into it with what, uh, Ellison, so they had a little battle there, and uh, Ellison's, he's probably better at sailboats now. We'll edit that on post. Yeah. Hey, and, and out by you guys, my boy Michael Yerke, 25 years of, at uh, House of Blues Life Nation. He's the uh, the music guy. Back in the prior life, I used to be in some nightclubs. Me, me and Michael used to, you know, hang out so it's nice that we get some uh, live shows again huh yeah seriously i just went to see gary clark jr last night at the, the santa barbara bowl it's amazing you get in the senior <laughs> the aarp discount uh worked for me <laughs> gary clark senior was not there but uh da, da, da. <laughs> all right insert drum uh so kg and uh, mike how do you guys know each other kevin do you start 
Well, I was actually introduced to Mike through a guy that used to work for me, uh, Hamlet, Hamlet Salazar. And the two of them worked together at, was it Paychex, Mike, or, or ADP? Paychex. I, I think I, I think you're off here. I, I don't know if you're right. I think you and I met Ben Miller. Oh, my gosh. That's exactly right. And there's the small world that Hamlet, small world, Hamlet then got us connected. That's an insight. No, I, I, I introduced Hamlet to ZipRecruiter. You are so right. That's right. It's Ben. Ben Miller. ZipRecruiter was recruiting for very early salespeople. And I was thinking, well, that, that's ironic. But I knew this guy, Hamlet, who's a great guy and passed him along. And he ended up spending, what, seven, eight years as ZipRecruiter. Yep. Made some money through his uh, his stock options as well, and and uh, you know Pete, I was impressed with uh, you know with Mike, you know former Marine, just willing to do whatever it to be successful, and uh, and we developed a, a you know a friendship, and uh, you know a, um, uh, we would you know talk to each other you know every quarter or so, and uh, and I watched Mike move from. Uh, various jobs and be successful as a salesperson, just a killer sales guy. And then he calls me one day and says, KG, you're not going to believe it, but I bought a Sandler franchise up the street here. What do you think? And my my initial reaction was another training, uh, you know, service out there. Come on. Like, and then of course, my, you know, Mike, just blood, sweat, and tears. And you were like, Awarded some, what were you awarded recently, Mike? Like the the gold award, platinum award, the heavy hitter award. The well, all right. Since you asked, yeah, let's see some of that loose site. There it is. Oh, there it is. Yeah, look at that. I love we it. we call we call that a smoother in Chicago. Okay, smooth out smooth out issues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want, you want me to lower my price? <laughs> so yeah so I, that's that's it pete you know mike is uh in in summer you know mike is just a really solid guy and uh and a, an amazing salesperson and took the leap to start his own business basically and is you know seeing success through you know blood sweat and tears and and you know my hat's off to mike because he's just uh he just gets it done you know you you, you and i pete like guys like that he just gets it done well, first of all, Mike, thank you for your service, man. Yeah. You know, you know there's no Marines out there. Uh, what is it, 10,000 Oaks, 1,000 Oaks? What's the island out there? No, there's no island. It's 1,000 Oaks. Is no. Pa- pa- yeah, that's South Carolina, right? Right. Where did the Marines train down there? So San Diego, where to, help me out. I've been to California forever. Yeah, down so down in Camp Pendleton. When did you, did you, were you always in sales? Like, how'd you get started, Mike? You know, I was thinking about that and I, I was going to say, I, you know, my sales story is probably like a lot of other people's sales story, but I don't, I don't want to insult other salespeople. I was a, just had a really hard time in high school. I was a bad kid. I barely graduated. So when I, so after I did, I was working a job in retail and I knew, I knew there's more for me out there. So I joined the Marines did my four years, got out, went to junior college, transferred up to UC Santa Barbara, graduated there, got a what I thought was going to be an exciting job in the real estate entitlement industry, which, whoo, 
I was way off. That was the biggest sleeper I'd ever experienced. No offense to anybody in real estate entitlement, but I was so miserable. I, I quit my job with, I want to say about five weeks in, probably had about a thousand dollars in the bank, caught a flight to Thailand, spent five weeks there, cleared out my head, came back and got a job in sales, selling, literally selling gym memberships at Spectrum Club in downtown Santa Barbara. And it, it all took off from there. How did you, what was the connection with ZipRecruiter there, KG? Well, he never worked at ZipRecruiter. I could never could afford this guy, but because I got to know him, he was, uh, you know, kicking ass and taking names and I couldn't, uh, couldn't afford him. <laughs> couldn't uh, afford like, him. Okay. Got it. Yep. 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 And, uh, but that was like around 2013, 2014 is when, uh, when Mike and I, uh, Mike and I met and you were selling CDN services. You had moved into technology by that, right, Mike? Great, great memory. What was the name of that company again? Edgecast. Edgecast. That's exactly right. And who was that bald guy? The other bald guy that was the head of sales there. What was his name? Craig. Craig Kaplan. That's right. Exactly. He went to Bellarmine High School. We'll give him a shout out uh, right. when, we, when we publish that one later. Just a good, good guy, Pete. Well, Sandler. I never plunked down the money. I had those guys knocking on my door, and I figured if I put the Sandler guys in there, then they wouldn't have enough money to pay me. <laughs> I should get exposed to them, Mike. Kevin just mentioned Edgecast. I was working at Edgecast. It was you know, a, a newer company. I, I don't know if I would call it a startup, but they were a newer company. They were starting to grow, and they brought in Sandler. And I'd always been good at sales, and I was stupid at the game is – KG talks about, I read all the books, listened to all the audios, and I thought I'd heard everything. I'd never heard of Sandler. Sandler training came in, and I was I was blown away. It was completely different than, really completely different than anything I'd ever heard. would say in the first couple of months, I doubled what I was selling, went through a number of acquisitions. That company was acquired by Verizon, went to a couple other startups. People in technology tend to know Sandler training, and they they would say, oh, can, can you use some Sandler training here? Can you run some training, help some people out. So it's kind of doing it informally, I guess, quote, unquote. But that's how I came in touch with Sandler. Got it. So they have their brand and then their process. And then you have independents like KG and myself. Well, actually, we're not independents. We're sassholes. What, what's special about the Sandler process? Can you can you sell us on it, sell our li uh, listeners? Because we got new new sales reps, new sales managers, we got occasional people that we used to work with that laugh with us uh, on here that are CEOs and whatnot. Let, let's hear your pitch. Let me let me maybe give you a framework of what Sandler is so you can have some context okay. on what we do. And I'll, I'll tell you, one of the things we do is we know not everybody's a prospect. And so going for the no or trying to figure out reasons why it might not be a good fit and not wasting time with people is a big tenet of Sandler training. But so Sandler works around the idea of what we call behavior, attitude, and technique, which is BAT or batting average. And typically when people think about sales training or sales, they think, give me the scripts, like teach me how to close. And sure, that's super important. You need to have technique. What I think is the bigger part is the attitude, meaning the mindset, how you think and feel. Because if you don't believe in what you're doing, you don't believe in yourself, then, and not in one of those warm and touchy-feely ways, like, walking across coals. But one of the things that we talk about is, you know, is money concept and how much you think that you're worth. And if you think you're, you're worth a hundred thousand dollars, you have the best guy in the world. 
He's going to go out and maybe now it's August. He's hit his, he's earned his hundred thousand dollars for the year. And he's going to go self-sabotage the rest of the year because he doesn't see himself as a person that earns more than a hundred thousand dollars. You'll see this stuff manifesting itself in sales teams all the time. You'll see that average performer who has a great month and then goes and bagels the next month and doesn't sell anything because they need to get themselves back in their comfort zone. So that's the attitude part of the BAT. And then you have the, the B, which is the behavior, which means what are the things that a salesperson needs to do each and every single day to be successful? We work on the technique, which is the questioning, the opening, the closing, all of those things, differentiating, building rapport, but then you also have to have the attitude because if that's not there, it ain't gonna work. And when you hear people say sales training doesn't work, you know, to an extent that's right. Just teaching people how to how to have the technique isn't necessarily gonna fix the problem. And then without doing the behavior, implementing the things, it's you go nowhere. So that's a kind of the tenets of, of Sandler training. Help me uh, understand this one, because what Mike's talking about, I think, is uh, self-concept, right? You're not going to work any harder than you think you're worth. Some kids, I say kids, 22, 23-year-olds, you know, they come in and they don't want to make more than their parents, or they feel guilty making more. Even worse, they don't have any reasons why they're doing the gig. How do you you guys address that? Self-concept, isn't that what it's... I got that from, I think, Brian Tracy. It's all the same stuff. I mean, we're just rebranding it, but. Yeah, you know what? I, let me jump in for a second. But Mike, and Mike, I'd love to hear you because this is what you do for a, you know, do for a living. Uh, you know, I, I had a, um, I had a woman that worked for me uh, several years ago at ZipRecruiter and she came into my office. She was in a rut and, and she's like, you know, KG, you know, the promotion level is like getting to here, you know, and she, her hands were up and you know, like high, like really high, you know, just. I just don't know how I'm ever going to get there. I just don't know how I'm ever going to get there. And, you know, can you give me some guidance? (laughs) I said, well, first things first, you need to like walk out of my office here because if you don't believe, like I can teach you like the mechanics and develop the plan to help you get there. That's the behaviors, Mike, that you're talking about. But if you don't have the attitude that you can get to that level, like I'll never get there. Like she walks into my office saying, God, I just feel like I'll just never get there. Well, if that's how you, you have, you've got to break that own barrier. You have to say to yourself, I, I, it's like me to get there. I, and you have, you have to believe you're already there. And, and she also, this is very same person, Mike, and I'd love for you to retort on this one as well. She used to never sell the largest plans we had at ZipRecruiter. And she used to say, you know, it's just, it's just a lot of money. It's just a lot of money. I said, maybe to you, <laughs> maybe to you, it's a lot of money. But not to them. You're solving a problem for them for the low, low price of ten thousand dollars a month. You know, you you need to get it out of your head. What what how you think about the money and the dollars and being you know being big. And so she was you know so Mike she was really hung up in her own mind. And I don't know the whys. I don't know the whys behind that. You know, I didn't have the black couch in my office and the time to go through the deconstruction there. But one. She believed the quota, the, the promotion quota, the, the, the level to get to the next promotion for her was too high already. And she had this you know, money thing in her head where she was like, God, that's just a lot of money. I can't pitch that to my customers because that's a lot of money. And Mike, you talked about those hangups before in that, you know, you're, you're the money concept, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, do you want me to give you a little bit more flavor Please. on that? Please, because, you know, Pete, we've got another 28 minutes to go. Otherwise, 
It's the shortest sass holes episode ever. <laughs> 27, who's counting? <laughs> yeah, I mean, sales really is just a big bundle of, of psychology. And I love what David Taylor used to say. He would say a sales call is never about, you know, you and your prospect. It's always about your mother and, and their mother. Because you know, growing up, our parents tell us things. And from the ages of zero to six, we we form these things called our life scripts or our belief system. And I don't know the person that you're talking about who said that was a lot of money, but her parents or authority figures in her life were probably telling her, you know, there's never enough money. Money's the root of all evils or, you know, something along those lines where she got this idea that money was bad and that X number of dollars at a certain point was a lot of money. When, from what you're telling me, when she went out to go have this conversation, she says, well, I wouldn't buy that. I wouldn't spend that much money because it's a lot of money. So her belief became her judgments, which were her beliefs about other people's beliefs, where she said, well, I wouldn't buy this and that. And they would never buy it and spend this much money either. And therefore, she never even presented the option. So that's how it works. So in order to really create an effective salesperson, part of training and as a sales manager, part of coaching is to help people identify those kind of those limiting beliefs and figure out however it is they do it. There's a lot of different ways to do it. But how do we change those beliefs about money? Or how do we change the beliefs about whatever it is that's keeping us from being successful. When people feel that way, they're, they're, they're thinking with their pocketbook and not the, the client's pocketbook. And I think what helps with that is uh, I call break-even selling. Looking at your product and the value that you're providing to the client, if you can work out the numbers, it's like, hey, if you do this process, we can increase your business by 20%, whatever Sandler says. Well, 20% to uh, you know, a stream of 20 million, 4 million, and we're only charging 500 grand for 4 million. So when you put it in those terms, I think it helps the, the, the new kids figure things out. How'd you do, KG? I became a huge fan of Sandler. I heard such good things about Sandler about three, four years ago. And then finally, we made the investment at ZipRecruiter um, for our enterprise sales team. And I, I was like, God, where have you been all my life? You know, because it was just sort of this full system that came together. And, uh, and the thing I'm chuckling about here, Pete, is we, we talk about in Sandler, we talk about the, you know, you never get to the, the, the proposal phase without doing a discussion about pain, running through a real clear pain funnel first, then going through the decision maker, decision-making process, and then talking about budget and the money. You're, you don't propose first and you're not doing a demo first, you know? Um, so Mike, I, it, it, you know, Pete's setting you up. <laughs> this is the plan. Yeah. Get, get, get your bat out because that's the softball for you to jump in, you know, to the pain funnel and, you know, and how important that is. One of the central, you know, other pieces to Sandler, Mike, that I love so much is that Sandler basically teaches salespeople to do things that are, that are not like what customers expect. Customers expect salespeople to behave a certain way. And, and Sandler teaches us to, to behave a different way so that, uh, so that we can basically not waste time with, uh, you know, with these customers. I, I love it. So will, will you jump in on the, on the pain funnel and just the, the critical importance that, that, it, that it brings so that you could do exactly what Pete just, Pete just said? 
Yeah, absolutely. So let me, since we have time, as you pointed out (laughs) so nicely, I'll give you a little bit more detail than maybe I normally would about the pain funnel, but the pain funnel written in a simple answer is a series of, of questions that help take a problem from kind of general and intellectual to specific and emotional, because we know that people buy emotionally, but the way the questions were designed is to help prospects identify some of the issues that that are going on because again going back to psychology as people we we have so many biases we have you know our cognitive biases our confirmation biases and so it's hard for it's very hard for people to admit they have a problem because they have to say hey you know at some level um there's something i don't know or there's something i'm not doing right that are causing these issues and even then we have cognitive dissonance which says well, maybe it's a problem, but it's not that big of a problem. And so as people tend to go through a sales process and traditional selling or whatever it is, whatever method or technique or lack of method or process that you're using, and I'm sure we've all been there. You've gone on a sales call, you've heard somebody say, well, this, you know, I can't believe this. Why wouldn't you want to change this? And you walk out and they don't buy and you're like, what happened? So the pain funnel asks questions like, you know, how long has this been a problem? What have you tried to do to fix it? Because again, it gets the prospect to articulate what it actually is. They hear it's been going on for a certain amount of time and it's not just a, you know, a one-time thing that happened. And one of the questions towards the bottom of the pain funnel is how much do you think that is costing you? When we think about that and we talk about kind of 101, that's like basic Sandler stuff. If you were to do this Sandler and you're going through a sales call, and you're going verbatim through the pain funnel, at some point you'd say, hey, Pete, what do you think this problem's costing you? And like most prospects will probably say, well, I don't have any idea. So then we have, you know, when we get to 201, when we get to the more advanced techniques, we're able to quantify the pain and start asking questions like, okay, well, you mentioned that your team's discounting. What is the average amount of discount you see across the team? A 20% rate. What's the average sales rep selling per year? A million dollars. Okay, great. So you're how much is that per year? Well, $200,000 in discount per sales rep. Great. And how many sales reps did you say are on your team? We have 10. Okay. So, and, and I always let the prospect do the math, but so how, how much is that? I'm not good at math. I was a poli sci major, $2 million. Oh, okay. Wait a minute. You're telling me that discounting alone is costing your company $2 million. And so now we've quantified the pain and the prospect himself or herself has told me, and their information, their data, that this is a $2 million problem. So now, if I'm going to come in with a solution that's a fraction of that, it, it, it's not going to be them saying, well, that's absurd. Why would I ever pay that much money? It's They understand that there's a real problem. They've quantified the cost of the problem. They've told me that that's what it is. So that's we talk about the pain funnel. We need to figure out, we need to help people see the problem. And it's they're great tools because when people don't buy something and it'd be a great fit, it's the salesperson loses and the prospect loses because salesperson doesn't get a sale and isn't able to help the the prospect and the prospect doesn't get a solution that can help fix their problems. And it happens all the time. And when we talk about demos being the death of opportunity, Mm -hmm. show them everything. The prospect doesn't know they have a problem or they don't know how impactful the problem is to their business. So it's an investment, right? You're buying a hundred dollar stock for fifty bucks. If you were in real life, would you do it? If not, why? And those are the objections. They don't believe you. 
What do you do yeah. with uh, some some uh, shifty, you know, clients out there that don't get into the the numbers? You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. You get so you get some of the uh, business owners who who know what you're trying to do, and then they don't like getting into the numbers because they don't want to give you the leverage. Yeah, they're holding you, cards close to their chest, yeah. Mike. Like they won't. They, you know, there's they will not. This is so central to Sandler. I can't wait for you to nail this, Mike. Like they they won't talk about these problems. They refuse to talk about these problems. They keep their cards close to their chest across pains, budget decision-making process they don't tell you shit how, yeah. how does how does how do you teach people to deal with that it happens yeah no it it happens all the time and when kevin talked about teaching salespeople and sandler to do the opposite of what they're expecting you know one of the things that we always say up front is hey this might not be a good fit and that's not a move but that's a it's a very real thing and so as i'm going through my process number one is somebody's not willing to open up and have a conversation with me. I know personally, that's not going to be somebody who's a great prospect, but as I'm asking these questions, I, I can say, you know, I told you in the beginning that I'm going to need to ask some questions and see the world through your eyes. And if you're not comfortable sharing this information with me, that's fine. But then I don't think I'm going to be able to, to help you out. Now, sometimes they're not shifty. They just don't know and don't want to be embarrassed. How do you, you still got to move on anyways, huh? Yeah, so I guess a couple of things here. We talk about bonding rapport and is the first part of the process and not the traditional bonding rapport where you think of like slapping backs and smoking cigars, but connecting with people. We use some neuro-linguistic programming stuff and just coming at people from the way that they want to be communicated with. And that, you know, that goes a long way to building trust and connection. And I know you're probably saying, well, sure. And sometimes that still doesn't work. So it, it's really going to boil down to two things. Number one, if they're not willing to share, maybe they don't know the numbers or they're not able to articulate it, in which case, again, we can help them figure that out. Or they're going to say, well, I'm just not sharing that with you. At which point I'm going to say, look, I can't help you if you can, if you don't trust me. And that's, and that's okay. But let's just save both of us some time and we can shake hands, part friends. I'll still send you a, a holiday card and we'll give you back 30 minutes in your day. And that's, you know, that, that's really what it comes down to. <clears throat> And what, and what happens at that point, by the way? Because, Mike, I, I've taught that technique for decades. 22-year-olds talking to 50-year-olds that won't be forthcoming about their pains and problems and won't ask questions or they're being a jerk. I don't want to waste your time or mine. If this isn't a good fit for us, hey, that's fine. Just let me know. We can part ways as, uh, as friends. What happens next, though? Yeah. Our, our, our listeners, like, they're, they're new here and they're managers you know, you can't just say that and not have a play for what happens next. There's a couple of scenarios that happen next after you after you tell a prospect who doesn't know the numbers or won't share the numbers with you, and you tell them basically, "Hey, you want to you you want to end the call now," which is so not what salespeople typically do. They're begging begging for business, and they're just going to take it. They're just going to take it. But but Sandler turns it on its head. So when you do that to a prospect. What, what are some of the scenarios that then, that then result from making that statement of like, hey, you want to hang up the phone now? What happens next? People usually open up. It, it's, it's still amazing to me, even after all these years, when you do that, all, like all of a sudden the dynamic of the conversation changes. And now it, it moves from the salesperson being a salesperson to the owner, some, some level, say, no, wait, 
<laughs> I'm going to tell you. And if they don't, then I mean, look, if there's always that small percentage of the population who is just doesn't think and act like the rest of us. And at that point, you have two choices. You can continue along with the process. But for me, if you don't have that information, you get to the budget step, you're, you're just kind of guessing. You're going to say, what do you, what kind of budget do you have set aside? And, you know, in most scenarios, people won't have a budget for sales training or, or they're going to say, hey, well, they'll open up and say, well, this is what it is. Those are really, it's, it's a pretty binary thing. Well, it's, it's personality types too. I mean, if you're new and you don't know the numbers, you're not going to sound, you don't know the numbers and you haven't studied your script or rehearsed it. I mean, you're shit out of luck. There's various personality types. I don't want to get into the weeds. Out of 100 calls, maybe five people are going to be dicks. Five are going to be gems. And everything in between is how you prepared. Uh, what, what do you guys use? You're going to run into this stuff. So we got this, we got a, a business owner that won't share the numbers and you can't show the value of the product, move on. Because, you know, with a business owner, you're, you're telling them, hey, look, the reason why I'm calling, I'm calling you is I want to make a, com a commission or bonus off of you because I think this will work for you and money will be coming in years to come. Here's why. If they don't want to hear that, okay, then you move on to the next one. Would you say five out of 100 are going to say, you guys suck, go away? They called me a hundred times before. I don't want to give you the numbers just so people don't get discouraged out there. Cause you know, it's going to happen. You got to get a hundred no's or 95 no's, 90 no's, 80, whatever it is, you know, five are going to be okay. Five are going to be horrible. And everything in between is based on how you prepare or you study the Sandler process, whatever the technique is that you use. Just curious out there what you guys would use for numbers like that. I can put this into context and say that, I mean, look, if you're just picking up the phone and you're calling people and someone answers and you're probably not going to have that conversation with them right there. But if I'm calling and I have a conversation, they, they're open enough to share that they have problems and challenges that impact them in their business. I'm going to schedule a call with them and whether that be in person or virtually by zoom or however that's going to go, we're going to, we're going to have the conversation before we get there of, hey, Pete, when we get together, you know, I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I need to make sure that I can see the business through your eyes so I can determine whether or not I think it's even something we can help with. Are you okay, are you okay if I ask you a whole bunch of questions? So before we even get to that meeting, we've already agreed in advance as to what's going to happen during that call. So in context, I would say most of the time, 90 Something percent of the time I'm having that conversation that, yeah, they are going to share the information. You're right. Five percent of the time they won't. That's if I've done a good job setting a, an, a, an agenda for our, our meeting. If you're calling on a smaller business, you got the owner right then and there. Do you stop and set the appointment or you try to go through? What, that, that's a controversial topic. Well, <laughs> Mike, go for it, man. You're the pro. You're like the best salesperson on this call. So you just do it, man. So we talk about we talk about sales process, but we also talk about a sales template. And a sales template is what are the customer-facing interactions, the steps that need to happen before somebody becomes a client. So knowing your I know for me, I'm not going to have a sales call while I'm making a cold call. It, it, I'm just not going to do it. Pete, if you if I call you, you say, hey, these are issues, and I feel like we're getting into a conversation. And I can say, you know, I'm gonna ask, I know I need 60 minutes, at least 60 minutes to get through a sales call. I'm gonna I'll I might ask. 
do you have do you have sixty minutes right now? And I, I know I usually don't have sixty minutes if I'm prospecting, but if you do, then sure, we can we can have that conversation. I'm still going to tell you here's the things I want to cover when we go through there, but I know I need at least sixty minutes to get through that. So, depending on what your template is, if you have time to get through a sales call on a on a prospecting call, then do it. If if not, then schedule that as a separate event. So Pete, there's a, you can find these on, on YouTube. There's all the Sandler rules and, and I, I just love them. They're just the, all these adages that are out there. One of those, Mike, as you well know, no pain, no sale, no pain, no sale. And it's, I, I love that Sandler rule, but one of the other ones that's really, really makes a lot of sense. And I wish that mature salespeople would adopt this. No mystif- uh, no mutual mystification, right? Mike, that's a Sandler rule. No that mutual is a Sandler rule. There's a Santa rule. And, uh, and what Mike is referring to, Pete, is if you're on that call and you get somebody, you know, you're not going to just sort of plow right into a discovery call, um, a pain funnel with them right there. You're going to make sure that there is no mutual mystification. You're going to ask permission. You're going to say, these are the things I, you know, I'd like to accomplish. Mike, Mike is saying, let's go for an appointment and set the agenda for that appointment and then, and then conduct that appointment. And that's, that's the template that he prefers. But if you're going to jump into the, there's, there's no debate on it, by the way, when you do it this way, because you could, if like Mike is saying, if you get the small business owner on the phone, they're just like, well, why don't you just tell me what, tell me what you got? Let's, let's just get into it with no mutual mystification. You say, okay, well, here's what I would need. I would need about 30 minutes or 60 minutes to accomplish, you know, these things. Do you have that time now? No mutual mystification. And, and that's, that's what's so great about what Mike teaches because it, it is, it is such a human way of interacting. And most people that are being sold expect this sort of snow plow that's coming at you. And, uh, and, and Sandler doesn't, you know, doesn't teach that. And Mike doesn't teach that. And I, I just love that. Make sense. Yeah. Well, you need a process, whatever it is, Sandler, Brian Tracy, Schiffman, you know, just get your process, be consistent. So you, so when you make tweaks, you know what to tweak, you know, what's working, what's, what's not working. I mean, you, you had me at a low now with SAS, it's really hard to sell a million dollar product in first phone call. Let's say, yeah, I was thinking about using you guys and that should be an inbound. I think the higher the ticket item, the smaller the price. Yeah, I want to buy. Okay, buy now. The two big debates are, should I sell on the first phone call or sh- and sh- should I leave a voicemail? How about voicemail? Do you leave voicemails? Yes. Why? Yeah. Why do I leave voicemails? I mean, your return call rate is less than 1%, even if that. Why do you leave a voicemail? Well, you, you may be leaving the wrong voicemails. <laughs> oh, I, I, know my, I know my voicemail return rate's one in five. I just got busted there, Pete, totally, didn't I? You do all the time to put the, put the call in and you don't leave a message. It's like buying airtime for a commercial and you don't run the commercial. It depends on what the message is, right? And I'm sure you got some type of uh, process on the voicemails, uh, on the information that you leave to get the people to call back. How do you get a 20% return, though, Mike? I'll give it to you. If I, if I were calling you, Pete, this would be my voicemail. Pete, Michael Gordon, it may be important that we speak, but not urgent. You can reach me back. Bop, 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 bop. Shorten to the point. Shorten to the okay. point. Why do you think that works? It leaves. Got the numbers to prove it. People don't know why you're calling. People don't know why you're calling. And and by the way, this is a recent discovery. 
the callback rate for that voicemail is actually higher for female callers. Interesting. From experience over the last couple of months, I have female clients that lead that. I think they're getting probably something like two and five calls back. That's a gem right there. All right. Are you ready for this one? This can only be used once. Maybe you heard this one before, but if you're good, <laughs> I'm not recommending that you do this. Okay. Oh God. Here it comes, Mike. <laughs> Oh, this is P Chances with the Sassholes, 847-922-4776. That's 847-922-4776. The reason why I'm calling is click. Oh, I'm good with that. You okay with that? I'm, I've used that one before. Sales is a tough game. I don't think there's anything that should be unethical about it. I don't think messages like that are unethical. People could get frustrated with about the message, and that's okay. If I said I'm, I'm calling because... Your kid's sick. That's unethical. That's a lie. It is a lie. If I call and I say it's, I think it's important that we speak, but not urgent. I think it is important. Nobody wants to go through a, a business or a sales life discounting and chasing people around. They, they may think otherwise, but that's it. And I can tell you, and I'm a guy who collects, num who collects numbers and statistics. I've left a lot of those messages. I maybe. I can think of the top I had two people that were upset about me leaving that message. But the message you said, Pete, I, I love that message. Right. You're wrong with it. Well, see, you know, some people get pissed or some, some new reps throwing, hey, I'm calling about your account and it's regarding, and then they find out, hey, wait a minute, I don't have an account or, you know, something like that. So be unethical because that is a lie. But if, look, not everybody is going to be comfortable leaving these types of messages. Yeah. I have clients that are comfortable. I have clients that aren't, but... Again, I don't think it's unethical. Kids have no problem sending an email, drip campaign, marketing does drip campaign. It's the same thing. It's a drip voicemail campaign. As long as you're giving a little bit of information each time, you know, there's an exchange for time for information, so it's okay. So you just have to think about what that is. Hopefully marketing helps out with that. But Pete, you're right. People send bajillions of emails, prospecting emails. And the reason people don't leave voicemails like that is because they don't want somebody to get mad at them. <clears throat> They take it right. personally. Yeah. But the and but but you brought it up, Mike, and it's it's really important for the listeners to understand. The probability so they're fearful that they leave a message like that and someone's gonna hammer them because they left that message. And the fact of the matter is, is that the probability that they'd actually get hammered by that is so small that you'd likely be spending more time worrying about getting hammered than you actually would be getting hammered by a voicemail. And the benefit of leaving a voicemail like that outweighs that. And you got to get just just get past that and experience it for, your, for yourself. And there's people that are listening to this podcast right now going, I would never because it's, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to piss a client off. It would literally be one out of a thousand. One out of a thousand would actually get pissed off. I, for doing that. It's so few. I can remember where I was sitting when the guy called me back. It was a logistics company and he was upset. I don't remember what company it was, but I remember that. But that was it. That's that one person, I think, who was upset about it. Like everything else in sales, you're, you're the only one who's concerned about it. It's all in, in your head. That's right. If your reason isn't good enough to call these people up, that's the rep's problem, not the uh, client's problem. Hey, we got new uh, sales managers that uh, listen to the show. If they want to rep their uh, reps faster, Mike, how would you uh, do that? What can Sandler do to help them out? 
I could probably tell you a lot about what Sandler could do, but I'll just give some kind of high level pointers of what people should do. And this was interesting because Kevin and I spoke about this a, a while back when he was actually on my podcast. It starts with hiring the right people, just going out and saying somebody has experience in, in SaaS. And I, I don't know why this is. I've talked to some business owners over the last couple of months that have IT companies that small IT companies that said, oh, we went and, you know, grabbed somebody that worked at, you know, insert big name company here. You think somebody that had a, a huge book of business and made, you know, several hundred thousand dollars per year with layups is going to be the person that's going to come to your company and go out and prospect and find new opportunities. So it starts with finding the right person, the right people. Um, the second part is have, have a behavior plan for them. Remove all the obstacles. Make sure that you know and they know exactly what it is, what it is they need to do at the end of week one to say, hey, this person accomplished what we deemed was appropriate for them to let us know that they're successful at week one. Because unless you have a very short sales cycle, you can't say, oh, well, they hit their number for the week and now we think they're doing good. And you'll hear... Tech companies say this all the time. Well, we have a, a, a one-year sales cycle and we're waiting a year and a half, two years to see if people are going to be the right fit, which is crazy because you paid a ton of money. So have a behavior plan. Make sure that they know the specific behaviors they need to do to be successful. Have other things like uh, knowing their 30-second commercial might be a great thing for them to be able to do at the end of week one. Have a list of people that, of prospects that they need to call. Because if you have all these things and they know what they need to do to be successful and you can objectively say at each kind of benchmark in time that they've accomplished that, it's pretty simple to help somebody like that ramp quickly and succeed. I want to go back to this. In fact, I was, I'm coaching a customer, uh, coaching a client, you know, right now. And we're talking about that budget step. We're talking about that budget step. And we're talking about how you, know, you, you have to know, you have to have that. Don't do a demo or a proposal before you understand whether or not they can freaking afford your product for God's sakes. Either they have the money or they can go make and find the money. We had a, Will Emmons was on the show previously, Pete, as you may recall, and he talked about finding, you know, budget, you know, Mike, I mean, it's so so obvious, but like two things, like, first of all, why, why is it so damn important to make sure that you're talking about budget? Do they have the money? But what I want to know more about is, you know, do you have any like pro tips for us? Like, like, how do you get people to say like, look, here's a good way to talk about the budget, the customer's budget and get them to engage in that conversation. So you don't waste your time. You know, yeah, my solution is going to cost 500. It's going to solve your $2 million problem for the low, low price of a half million dollars. But I got to know, do they have a half a million dollars or can they go make a half million dollars to afford our product? What are, what are some, uh, what, why is that so damn important? And what are some pro tips on how salespeople and sales managers can teach their reps to have that conversation more comfortably? Sure, sure. So why is it so important to have that conversation? Kind of an obvious reason if, you know, if, if my product is a million dollars and we don't have that conversation and now I spend a bunch of time putting together a proposal or a presentation for you, Kevin, and I show up and it's like, hey, Kevin, you shared all this stuff. Here we go. Here's what we got for you. This is going to cost a million dollars. And you tell me your budget's $20,000. I just completely wasted a lot of your time and a lot of my time. If you know, if I come back and I'm to say, hey, here's a million bucks and you say, 
my budget's $500,000. And you see this a lot. You see this all the time. Now, now the sales reps to you, the manager, you, the owner and saying, you know, it's the end of the month. It's the end of yep. the quarter. We, we need a deal. We got this guy who's, who, who still paid 500,000 bucks for it. It was really a million dollars. And that, that's how those deals get into the pipeline when they shouldn't be there in the first place and how they actually get approved at the end of the month, end of the quarter in those times of desperation. So that's, yeah. that's why it's important to have those conversations. How can they more comfortably have those conversations? So this kind of goes back to the attitude part is mm-hmm. coaching, you know, whoever it is, coaching reps, coaching people on the fact that this is part of your job, that it's not rude to talk about money and it's not impolite. So changing an attitude, changing a belief about money and, and then having some technique. And, you know, if you look at some of the core material, it says, Kevin, do you have a, do you have a budget set aside for this? And that's, that's fine. That's better than what a lot of people do. You're going to tell me, yes, we do. No, we don't. But a better way to do it is if we go through the pain step, we go through the pain funnel and we figured out it's the $2 million problem. Like you told me, now we get to the budget step and I can say, Hey, Kevin, as a savvy business owner, what do you, what kind of investment do you think makes sense to fix a $2 million problem? Bravo. Mike, thanks for coming on the show today, man. What a great show. Mike's the bomb diggity. Hey G, thanks for having me. What's the best way to learn more about you guys, Mike? Uh, we got gordonsandler.com. Tom is the website. You can go there, get all my information. You can shoot me an email, michael.gordon at sandler.com. Or you can give me a call, 310-433-3151. And, you know, it, it, it may be important that we speak, but not urgent. Hey, you got a podcast. Go to Market Mindset, huh? I do. Real quick, how long have you had it going? Wow, I lost track of time. About seven, That's a while. I think we launched seven months ago now. Nice. Good for you, man. Good for you. Yeah, no, KG was on the, the inaugural episode, which was super cool. So, yeah, it's uh, check that out, too. There's another great guest. Hey, thanks for listening to Sassels. On behalf of Jason, Jamie, KG, and myself, Pete, we thank you for listening. And we ask you to please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. If they can't hear us, we can't help. Subscribe to our uh, newsletter in the podcast notes below. Everything we talked about, all the links to, to Mike uh, and Sandler will be in the podcast notes. Hey, and if you really like this, buy us a beer on Patreon. Okay, we thank you for listening. Cue the music. Mike, get closer to your microphone. You're a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, far away. How's that? Is that any better? Yeah, only a only a little bit, only marginally. Yeah, we're picky. <laughs> okay, yeah. man, this, this was good enough for the the How to Succeed podcast. Oh, okay, all right, good. Well, Zoom usually jack, jacks it up, and if it's not uh, crystal clear, so uh, oh, Zoom, Zoom sucks no matter what you do. So eventually, one day we'll upgrade, but this isn't that day. No, it's not. It's great. Let's do it. Yes, Pete. Evan Gaither. Can you hear me now? When you run across a sales team that says, my customers just won't discuss budget with us, it's not customary in our industry, how do you guide them? (laughs) (laughs) You threw us for a loop there. It was a joke. Uh, oh, here we go. Here. Turn the page, Kevin. Okay. We got to work.
work on our process, you know. Hey, hey, G. <laughs> yes, Pete. <laughs> Gaither. Yeah, yes, yes. Can you hear me now? We got to work on our process, you know. Hey, hey, G. <laughs> yes, Pete. <laughs> Gaither. Yeah, yes, yes. Can you hear me now? I used to be addicted to soap, but I'm clean now. Leave us some comments on our blog at sassholes.net.